Hello and welcome to the Greenfield Baptist Sermons Podcast. Each week we will be uploading the Focus Scripture and Sermon from Greenfield Baptist Church in Northeast Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us and enjoy. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for bringing us together. Thank you for the beautiful sunshine and the hope of a new season. Lord, as we look at your word this morning, I pray that it would be powerful because you are powerful, that you would... Lord, place us in the Scripture that we might understand our plight, that we might understand, Lord, your love, that, Lord, we would understand how much you care for us. We are broken people that are loved by a God so good. May we hear that this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Scripture this morning is from Mark chapter 12, verses 1 through 12. I'm going to ask you a question to think about for later. I want, you to, I want to ask you this question, I'll ask you it again as we begin to talk, but who do you relate to in this parable, this story? Who does your heart feel connected to most in this passage? It's a good story, but if we don't think about what, why the story is there, it won't mean much. So I'm going to ask you to put yourself in this story in one of the spots. There's a man who bought a vineyard or a farmer. There are the farmer's workers... There's the farmer's son, and there's the renters, those who rented the property. Mark chapter 12, verse 1. Jesus then began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a pit for the wine press, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. But they seized him, beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. Then he sent another servant to them. They struck this man on the head and treated him shamefully. He sent still another, and that one they killed. He sent many others. Some of them they beat, others they killed. He had one left to send, a son, whom he loved. He sent him last of all, saying, they will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him. And, our, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Haven't you read this passage of Scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. 
Then the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders looked for a way to arrest him because they knew he had spoken the parable against them. But they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and went away. May God add his blessing as we continue to sing. I want to encourage you that if you have your America for Christ offering, there's a, uh, a, block, a bucket be right behind me. Uh, you're more than welcome to bring that up as we sing uh, praise to God this morning. Lord God, we come to you this morning a bit subdued, a bit quiet this morning, maybe a bit tired. Seems like it's an hour earlier than normal. And maybe, Lord, this is where you want us this morning. To quiet our hearts that we might hear your voice through your words this morning. That, Lord, we might hear those places in our lives that need some adjusting. That we might recognize those areas that aren't lined up with you. I ask, Lord, that you would bring your spirit upon us this morning, that we would hear your voice. And you would, Lord, bring to remembrance those things in our life that need to change. Those areas, Lord, where it's not right and it is not all right to be the way we are. Challenge us, Lord, in those spots that don't reflect you. That, Lord, at the end of the day, we'll be better followers of you because we understand who you are and understand who we are. And, Lord, I pray for any of those, any of us who, even at this moment, want to make excuses for those spots in our life we don't want to change. I pray, Lord, even now that you would bear those uh, that we might remember that you are a God who is able. You are a God who is willing, who desires to make change in our life so that we could be closer to you. May we work in those areas and work on those areas and may you work in our lives today in a powerful way. In your name we pray. Amen. Maybe seated. Good job. If you're a children, you can go to children's church. So you may remember that we, I give you a rock every week. That's pretty scary, huh? So far, I only got hit by one. I did. Someone did throw a rock at me last week. Not even. That's right. If you find Bobby, oh, Bobby doesn't have a shirt on. I was going to say you could chuck rocks at him, I guess. He has a target. Yeah. Are you sure you don't? No. I did get hit last week with a rock. I just want to let you know. So collateral damage, I don't know. Um, so we've been talking um, for, no, this is the second week. We've talked about uh, a journey of stones. And as we walk through this season, pointed towards the resurrection Easter Sunday morning. 
We're talking, we're using rocks as these symbols, and hopefully someone gave you one this morning. Dave's been doing a great job. I appreciate Dave standing back there telling everyone to grab a rock. If you didn't, there's a, there's a bucket full out there. And just so you understand what, uh, I, what I said last week was, these are not magical rocks. We didn't, like, there's no magic in these rocks. The reality is this. The magic is in the rocks is the symbol of that rock and the struggles in our lives that we want to lay at the altar. During the Easter season, my hope, my goal, my, I'll, I'll be excited if there's a ton of rocks around that cross out back. And I don't know if you noticed, there's, there's more there this week than there was last week. That's awesome. And so the whole understanding is this. If God is speaking to you during the week, during the sermon, during this Lenten season, and you realize that you need to leave something at the altar, that's what this rock is for. This rock is, an, is a symbol of laying that thing, whatever it is, that struggle, that concern, that problem, laying it at the altar and giving it to God. My wife said, you know, you bought the rocks with dust on them. Anybody else get dust on their fingers? Good. Yeah, Roscoe did. That's okay. It's okay. It's okay. I promise it washes out. Not a big deal. It's not, it doesn't taste good, yeah. Kenny may have tasted it. I, I can't answer. <laughs> and here's the other thing I want to encourage you to think about. If, if you lay something at that altar and God has freed you from that, that's powerful, is it not? That's a powerful moment in your life. Don't pick that rock back up. Don't pick that rock back up. I'd love to hear the stories of where God has released you from this struggle, this problem. And my goal, my hope, is that on Easter morning, there's some testimony to share those things that were left at the altar. That's scary, huh? I'm trusting that God has and will continue to work in amongst us. And those moments where God is working in this season, that we'll be able to hear those stories on Easter morning. That's my hope. That's my prayer. I've continued, I ask that you continue to pray that, or it's going to be a really short service on Sunday morning, right? I, I believe God will show up because He always shows up. But the reality is this this is a chance for us to begin and to continue to work in those areas of our life where. Maybe we're not so comfortable working. Maybe we're not so comfortable thinking about, uh, I said last week, and I, I, sometimes we think it's our personality. So this is just who I am. I'm just a rude dude, and you're just going to have to put up with it. Right? On the other hand, maybe God wants to free you, free me from those things that I get hung up on so that I can serve him in a better way, so that I can use those gifts that I have in a different way don't miss this opportunity by closing your ears to what God has for you today. So we're going to look, uh, again, I just want a couple areas. I want to try, I'm going to try to bring this up every week. These are different than last week, but these are spiritual areas that you may need to address um, when you hear this, this sermon, this passage, and you begin to think about it. Um, how do I feel when someone rejects me? How do you feel when someone rejects you? 
How am I making decisions in my life? I'm not real good at being vulnerable. I guarantee that's a lot of us, right? Once bitten, twice shy, and we're not real interested in being vulnerable. And one other area that I want to remind you that sometimes God's discipline is not rejection, right? Just because he's disciplining you does not mean that he's rejecting you, but rather he's trying to grow you. There's some rocks. You got some rocks. You're more than welcome to grab as many rocks as you want. Um, someone asked me the very first week, and I thought it was a very pertinent idea. If, um, if you're not ready to lay that rock down, take it home with you. Put it on your counter. Put it in your pocket. Put it in your Bible. I bet it, it'll almost sit flat, right? Take it home and, and pray for that release of whatever God has put on your heart. So our story this morning is about a farmer. And we kind of know some farmers. And you got, I grew up on a farm. Not a, we, we, did, we did more fruit and stuff like that. But we, I bet that we probably know someone who owns a vineyard, do we not? This happens to be a good area for people who own vineyards. And we have a hard-working farmer. This guy is, uh, sounds like he, does, he knows what he's going to do. He buys this property, and it has a, he, he builds this vineyard. And in the, in the process of it, he builds a wall to protect it, a watchtower. He puts in a wine press. Sounds like he has to dig a pretty big hole to do that. I don't know exactly what that would have looked like back then. But he buys this property, and he begins to improve upon the property that he has. And it sounds to me like he does a pretty good job of making it work. He puts all these pieces together, and, and I don't know about you, but it feels kind of like, good job, right? He, he took this property, and he made something valuable out of it, more valuable than he had when he originally started. He, uh, he made sure that he went through, and he took care of all the vineyards. And, and if you know what's going on this time of year, people are cutting uh, or trimming, right? You, you don't see any growth yet, but it's coming, and you may see cars on the side of the road. We saw some cars yesterday along the vineyards. Uh, people were out uh, trimming the grapes, pulling the brush, getting things ready uh, because spring is about to come. And so he, he takes care of all of the things that are on his, uh, uh, his to-do list. And he seems like he's a pretty hard worker. This guy's doing a good job, getting everything put together. He has a pretty good vineyard, and he decides to rent it out. Maybe this guy flips vineyards. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I want you to wonder. Um, but the story says he takes his vineyard, and he rents it out to some locals who want to work the vineyard, and it says he goes far off. Move to another city, it says. He moves to a different city and he rents out his property so that these other people can farm what he has built. Now, we don't have much idea or details about the people that he um, rented, the tenants. We don't know who they really are. It just says there were tenants who took over and worked the thing. And obviously, there was some grapes by the end of the season because the master the owner, farmer guy, he is saying, listen, we're going to go and get the rent. And the rent was obviously some grapes. 
um, some of the produce, some of what was produced on that farm. And so that's the plan, right? So this story starts out pretty normal, um, but here's where it starts to go bad, right? So obviously they had some kind of deal to take a certain percentage. He was going to get a percentage, and the renters would get a, a percentage of what they grew. The more they grew, the more both got. So he sends a servant. This man sends a servant to go get his, uh, what was due, his rent. And the story, as the story goes, the servant got beat. Pretty rough uh, go, right? And so the master, the farmer, sends another. And that one gets, well, they end up, one of them gets killed. And as the story goes in Mark, it's, he keeps sending people until he has none left. He keeps sending people until there's none left except his son. I don't know about you, um, but I might have done a little different, but he, he sends his son. He says, surely if I send my son, they'll respect him. I'm the owner, and this is my son, and he's the heir, and he uh, is the property owner. And of course, the tenants absolutely know that. And so what happens to the son? He's beaten. He's killed. And the scripture says, thrown out of the vineyard. Now, you guys didn't keep me in line. I forgot to ask the question. Who did you best relate with? Who did you relate with in this story? The owner? The servants? The tenants? The son? Who do you connect with? Who emotionally do you connect with in this story? Maybe you don't have any vested interest in any of them. What's that? The owner? Okay. Yeah, anybody else own any property? Anybody have any rentals? <laughs> Don't send your son. That's when I got this. No. We tend to connect with the owner because we feel like the owner was wronged. Was he not? That he did all the things right, all the things we can tell in this passage, this story. He did the right things. And yet he was wronged. His servants were beaten and killed. His son was beaten and killed. And Jesus says, what will the farmer do? That's what he asked the Jews as he's telling them this story. What will the farmer do? That's the question. So what would the farmer do? What should the farmer do? What do you want the farmer to do? Anybody want him to do anything? Cut his losses? That's right. Bring him to a wretched end. That's a good answer. I like that answer. Well, that's what we, that's what we want, right? This guy was wronged, and we're going to fix the problem. We are going to fix what's going on wrong here in this story. And I believe at this moment, Jesus just has this pause, and it all goes silent. Right? And we don't, we don't hear in today's passage in Mark the response. But what Mark said is in the Matthew uh, version of this parable, and it says, 
He will bring, this is what the people who were listening to this story said, He will bring the wretches to a wretched end and rent the vineyard to other tenants. We'll find better tenants who will give them a share of the crop at harvest time. And you know what Jesus says when they say that? Have you never read in the scriptures? And he points it, it's, it's pointing at Psalms 118. That the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it's marvelous in our eyes. And then he tells the Jews, Therefore I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to people who will produce its fruit. Bam! Jesus calls out the Jews, reminding them that they are ungrateful tenants. Right? No one wants to connect with the tenants because they took advantage of the owner. They took advantage of the harvest. They were rotten in the way that they dealt with people and things. And Jesus hits the Jews right between the eyes. He said, you are the wretched tenants. Guess what? You all, you alls, and me too are the wretched tenants. We don't want to be the wretched tenants, and yet the way we respond to God and the way we treat Him puts us in that category of ungrateful tenants. Rejected. Jesus was talking about being rejected. Oh, I'm back. I'm behind. Sorry. About being rejected. And what he says is the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. You know, we live in a different world today than we used to live. Um, in America, we build things to last for, well, 100 years is a pretty long time, right? So we'll build a house, hope it lasts for 100 years, burn it down, start all over, put another one up, get another 100 years out of it. 100 years is a long time. This is, a, this is a world where they lived and they built things that lasted for centuries. And one of the things that they did in this cornerstone idea that Jesus is talking about is this. They would pick one stone. It would be well thought out. They would literally go, for people who were building a building of some sort, a house, they would go to the rock quarry and they would walk through hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of stones. It would be, it's not like today where we just pour some cement, put up a couple blocks and let it rip. Back then they would, they would literally find this one stone, the best stone in the quarry. No, no markings, no uh, cracks, no nothing that would cause this to be a problem. And they would find this one stone. So many stones were rejected. They would walk through the quarry and pick out the one, the stone for their building. And just so you know, everything came off of that stone. The length, the width, and the height, the plumbness would come off of that one stone. That was the first stone set for the building. And everything came off of that. Everything was measured from that. Everything was uh, lined up with that. The cornerstone. Jesus says, listen... You rejected 
the cornerstone. And if you haven't figured it out by now, he's speaking of himself. Right? Because when we get to verse 12, uh, the, the, uh, the leaders of the, that had listened to this were trying to figure out a way to take him out. Why? Because he was going to be rejected. He spoke about being rejected, about being pointed and being the Messiah who would not be the Messiah, but rather the Messiah who would be rejected. We live in a world full of rejection. And I guarantee you that each of us has experienced rejection in a different, different, many different ways. Many different times and parts of our life. And even if I, I say that, we think about those times where we didn't meet the standard in someone else's eye. That doesn't mean we didn't meet the standard, but we didn't meet the standard in someone else's eye. That's a pin for your hat. You know what I'm talking about? When I was about, I don't know, 13 or 14, I had a pin just like that. It was pretty cool. I thought I was a farmer. I don't know. I really wasn't a farmer, but I thought I was. I liked it. And I met this girl who was a farmer. And you know what you do when you're 13 or 14, right? And you're in love, right? Because you're obviously in love by that age, 13 or 14, right? And even if you aren't, you think you are. So I gave this young lady this pin that was a part of my, I mean, this is my hat, my pin. This was a pretty big deal. She was terribly impressed. <laughs> I look back and I laugh at it now, but at that moment, it was a pretty big deal, right? And so I gave her this pin. And you know what that means, right? We're, yeah, we're going steady. We're dating, right? 13, back before texting. <laughs> back in a world where we didn't even call on the phone very often, right? But I think I'm in seventh heaven because some girl took my cow pin. Duh. Right? Yeah, you know. You make fun of me, but you know. Right? <laughs> you know. You know You know when you had your half a heart, uh, best friends forever, or when you're... Yeah, duh, that's almost married. Come on. Well, that's what this cow pin was to me. Almost married, 13. This was in the summer, during the summer. I was, I, so obviously didn't really see her, and you know how that works, right? Not connected. So come along, it comes Christmas time. And my cousins tell me, hey, we have a gift for you. It's from this girl. She got you a gift. And they got me in this little box. It was this little white box about this big. I said, oh, it's got to be, you know, I'm thinking, it's got to be a different cow pin, right? So I'm going to put a She has my cow pin. I'll have her cow pin. Oh, we are all but married. <laughs> right? You know, you make fun of me, but you know. I'm pretty excited about this box that I'm going to get for Christmas. So I get this box and... A, little, a lot of pomp and circumstance to this box. And my cousins, they kind of string me along. And they're like, oh, man, you're going to love this gift. You're going to love this gift. And so I get the, they finally give it to me. And I open the box. And guess what's in it? My cow pen. <laughs> Talk about a bad day. 
I'm crushed. I am absolutely crushed that she didn't want my cow pen anymore. That obviously we were destined to be married and now it's ruined because she didn't want my cow pen. My first love loss. No, it wasn't Amy. No. <laughs> Pre-Amy, yeah. She got no cowpin. <laughs> True story. Broken. Do you know how bad it feels to be rejected? You're easy. It's, it's, it's easy to make fun of a little cowpin, but we understand rejection. We understand when we don't make the grade in someone else's minds. When we don't fit the plan in someone else's life. Rejection is really hard stuff. I want to read you a, a description of a, of a man. Uh, James Dobson uh, read this, and I just want to, I want to read it to you. It says, His life began with the classic handicaps and disadvantages. His mother had been married three times. His father died a few months before he was born. His mother gave him no affection, no love, no discipline, no training in those early years. She even forbid him to call her at work. Other children would have nothing to do with him. At the age of 13, a school psychologist commented that this boy didn't know the meaning of love. During adolescence, the girls would have nothing to do with him, and he fought with the boys. As a young adult, he failed academically and dropped out of high school. He joined the Marines, but the other Marines laughed at him and made fun of him. In time, he was court-martialed and thrown out of the military. When he eventually married, his wife belittled him, ridiculed him, and ultimately divorced him. Finally, in silence, he pleaded no more. No one had ever wanted him. He was poet, perhaps the most rejected man of our time. Then one day he arose, went to the garage and looked out, looked, and took down the rifle he had hidden there. He brought it to his newly acquired job at the book storage building. And shortly after noon on November 22, 1963, he sent two bullets crashing into John Fitzgerald Kennedy. His name was Lee Harvey Oswald. Rejection tends to move us in one direction or another. I think about marriage relationships. And when we feel rejected, what do we do? We get mad and we fight back and we get angry and we launch bombs at each other. And in the midst of that, there's a lot of collateral damage and a lot of brokenness. If we're willing, we step back and we realize that the blood is on our hands, is it not? that we have rejected Jesus, that we have a direction. We can go the Lee Harvey Oswald way, 
of fighting back and being angry and go kicking and screaming. Or we can recognize that we have the blood on our hands. That we have Jesus' blood on our hands. See, it's really easy to blame everybody else. Right? Jesus went to the cross for you sinners. But the reality is, Jesus went to the cross for this sinner. That he needed to go to the cross if I was the only sinner. I'm not, but if I were the only sinner, he needed to go to the cross for me. And when we come to that point in our lives and realize that we rejected him from the beginning, that we rejected him when we sinned, that we reject him every time we do things that is against his will. And we love to blame everyone else. But it rests squarely on our shoulders. You have a rock in which you can throw back in the wheelbarrow and throw it in your pocket, take it home. Or you can recognize how you've rejected Jesus and at times and begin to make those changes by dropping it at the altar. Your choice. Let's pray. Lord God, we come to you this morning thankful that we have rejected you and yet you still loved us while we were enemies of the cross. That you still loved us and you stood on that tree hung to that tree, Lord, because we were sinners who needed a Savior. You died, you rose again, you came back to life, living a perfect life for our sinful selves. Lord, I pray that this morning as we spend a few moments thinking about those areas where we reject you, that, Lord we would remember that you are a good and mighty and loving God who is forgiving, that we don't have to live in that rejection. We don't have to live in that guilt. You call us, Lord, to take it to the cross, to lay our burdens down, and to begin anew. Asking forgiveness and starting over. Lord, I pray that you would help us as a people to lay our burdens at the cross. In your name we pray. Amen.